Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 12 of the Average to Elite podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we are doing a solo episode because I really want to cover a really, really important topic with you, and I feel that it just doesn't get anywhere near enough attention that I should do, knowing that how beneficial or perhaps detrimental it is to optimize your performance, body composition, and so on. Um you may guess that, uh, you know, should we say you may guess what it is when I say that it takes about a third of your life. So that alone would suggest that we're going to talk about sleep today, uh, more specifically how to supercharge your sleep. So when we think of sleep, um, I see it as like the origin of everything. Um, I don't know about you, but if I've had a bad night's sleep, my nutrition is out of work, my training is out of work, my daily mood and vigor, my concentration, clarity, all that kind of stuff isn't on point and I can't perform at my best. So when we think of it from a health and performance perspective, um, it is one of the three pillars with the other two pillars being diet and exercise. And they all work together uh, in complete balance to have beneficial effects to, again, both health and performance. And it's said that if we ignore one, it causes the other two to suffer so that sort of pillar, we say, um, bracing the other two will collapse and the whole house will end up falling down. So reasons why um, a lot of people perhaps ignore this is perhaps due to this like hustle and grind culture we have at the moment where, you know, it's, it's almost like a cool thing to be sleeping six hours a night, five hours a night, and then doing like a full day of work, really hard training. You know, it's almost like um, a badge of honor to do this, where it's absolutely ridiculous and it's so detrimental to both performance and health, as we'll cover later today. Um, so if that is you, um, I really want you to pay more attention to your sleep because it will have massive benefits to your overall health, well-being, and the progression in your sport, not only on the field, on the track, in the weight room, your body composition, everything will tend to get better. So before we get into some highly effective strategies for you to have a better night's sleep, I thought it was really important just to cover the negatives of sleep deprivation, both from a general population perspective and from an athlete's perspective as well. So I thought I'd cover the general population first. Essentially, we know that every single biological system within a body will get affected in some way, shape, or form. So, for example, we know that sleep deprivation is associated with neurocognitive dysfunction. So that is your brain function, uh, so your judgment and decision-making. We know that it's also associated with metabolic dysfunction. So this increases your likeliness of obesity and diabetes. We know that you have impaired glucose sensitivity from it, so essentially your ability to handle carbohydrates in the same way. Uh, we know that your appetite goes up and therefore your food intake goes up, which is then in line with increased body fat, and subsequently uh, obesity and so on. We know that um, you're in a more of a catabolic state. We know that um, muscle protein synthesis gets um, downregulated. So this is your ability to build, remodel, and repair muscle tissues. So you're in overall more of a catabolic environment because your catabolic hormones increase, where your anabolic hormones decrease. We know that your immune system gets suppressed, so you go, so essentially you get uh, immunologic 
dysfunction there. Uh, we know that you also get cardiovascular and neural dysfunction as well. So there's essentially an imbalance in the autonomic uh, nervous system, and that can suggest, um, or should we say, have symptoms of overtraining. So from the athlete perspective, so first of all, before you get onto the athletes, um, all that stuff sounds pretty terrible. And if you are gen- just a, a non-athlete and you're thinking of overall health, um, sleep is a very good place to start. And I think you would agree that many of us uh, really don't take into account uh, and it is really just an afterthought. It's just that thing that you just have to do. Uh, but we really need to make this a higher priority. So for athletes, so it's a fairly decent list. Um, so obviously they'll get most of the uh, negatives as would um, the general population. But we also know that sleep dep- deprivation in athletes can decrease running performances, uh, glycogen replenishment, so your ability to recover after demanding sessions. We know that it decreases submaximal strength. Uh, we know that it's going to affect um, the cardiovascular function because you get a decrease in minute ventilation. We know that, again, it's tied in with running performances, but we know that distance covered is going to be less in a running session. Your sprint times get um, go south. We know that in sports such as tennis, like the serve accuracy gets worse. In sports such as football, you know, that kicking skills get worse. Time to exhaustion gets worse, whether you're uh, on a bike, whether you're running, swimming. You just seem to fatigue a lot quicker. Uh, psychomotor functions decrease. So think of um, sports where you actually have to use your brain and think. Team sports, combat sports, so and so on. We know that uh, mood and vigor get worse, your time to react, and as well, clarity. So if I were to say, you know, are these uh, elements important to an athlete? I think you'd all agree and just nod your head. Now, if I were to say, make this brand new supplement and have this magic pill that improves all of these areas, um, I think a lot of people have spent a lot of money buying this pill just to make all these areas of the performance dramatically improve, where there's just a far more simple um, way of doing this and achieving this. And it is really just a case of getting enough sleep. And I appreciate this is just really boring. You probably heard this quite a few times. It's not like a sexy topic. It's not going to sell headlines but it is so unbelievably important. More times than not, the boring stuff is what matters the most. And that's really what's going to take um, you from average to lead, getting excellent other basics and doing all the boring stuff that people don't notice you doing um, because that's essentially what gets results. So just to throw a few stats in your way. So we know that 65% of youth athletes who report to have less than uh, eight hours of sleep per night are more than one times 1.7 times more likely to get injured than those who slept above eight hours. We also know that athletes who slept under six hours and under 92% efficiency, so that's your overall sleep quality, were four to five times more likely to get a cold. So when we're thinking of just um, athlete availability, which ultimately is one of the most important things like you can have you know the perfect physique and the fitness but if you're always run down and ill 
and can't put your hand up and be selected to play or get to the start line, you know, what's the point? So again, just really confirms the importance of sleep. So before we get into the uh, strategies, of which there are 11 of them, uh, is first really important to know just like a brief understanding of how sleep works, or should we say uh, what makes us fall asleep. So sleep is very much regulated by two things. So this is um, body temperature and melatonin. So melatonin is a hormone that is secreted and it increases um, as it gets dark, which is very much controlled by light exposure. Um, and it increases uh, in the evening, during, again, when it's dark, to make us drowsy and essentially prepares us to fall asleep. Where the second part is body temperature. We generally have uh, quite a high body temperature throughout the day, uh, you know, around that sort of 37 degrees, where it will drop um, throughout the evening and again prepare us to fall asleep. So all the strategies we look at really just play on these two things. So essentially modern day life uh, causes us to have behaviors and habits that massively interfere with these two things, especially light exposure and its effect on melatonin production. And so without further ado, let's get into the 11 highly effective strategies. Number one, no blue light at night or late night swiping right. So this is very much down to you being on your phone in the evening. So as the sun goes down and it gets dark outside, again, the melatonin production will start to increase to make you drowsy and prepare to fall asleep. But if you are on your phone, and we know that the blue light emitted from your phone screen can essentially suppress melatonin production because it's almost signaling to the body that it is day outside and we shouldn't be awake during the day. So the whole idea is trying to reduce and just limit uh, blue light exposure at night. So this isn't necessarily uh, just on your phone, this could be with a tablet, this could be watching the TV. Um, so just looking to reduce this as much as possible. So for myself and my clients, I just have a nice sort of strict cutoff at 9 p.m. Um, ideally, like earlier the better, but I always say 9 p.m., you know, stick your phone um, by your bed, set your alarm for the next day, and don't see it until you wake up. So that in itself is going to reduce um blue light exposure. But what's also what also you'll find as well is that you're just not dicking around with wasting time on your phone before you go to bed. You know, you can go on Instagram and spend like an hour on there just scrolling through stuff without even sort of realizing. Uh, and all, all of a sudden it's 10 30, 11, 11 30 at night and we know that sleep duration is going to be massively impaired uh, just because it can be really shortened. So the whole idea is to set a strict rule, no phone after 9 p.m., ideally sooner, um, put the alarm on, set it away, and don't see it again till the morning. And what's also good about doing this is um, essentially you won't get triggered by anything as well. You know, you might just be scrolling on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media platform you use, 
and you know you may say something that triggers you and then it's in your mind and it's really bothering you and you end up pissing you off and you can't fall asleep so you're essentially like tired and wired so that is a really good reason not to do it also and what you find as well is that because it's not on your phone uh, for like an hour, hour and a half at night, you actually perhaps get a little bit more bored. So you just end up going to sleep anyway. So it's very much a win-win situation. So number two would be making your bedroom as dark as possible. So it's not so uh, much of an issue if you say live in the countryside where there's no street lights and no real light exposure there. But if you live in a street and it's a street light outside, um, I would really and really highly recommend you getting um, blackout curtains just so your dark your bedroom is as dark as possible. Again, we don't want any artificial light coming in just in case it suppresses melatonin production and it interferes with overall sleep quality. Number three. Uh, we don't want to fall asleep to the TV. I think we've all been uh, very much guilty of this uh, previously. Again, one, because of the uh, blue light exposure we don't want, and two, mainly because you're just going to get triggered by whatever you're watching on TV. You know, TV is there for entertainment and it's going to be mentally stimulating, so you're just not going to be able to switch off uh, properly. So a really easy thing to do which is kind of a bore for many. I know it was for me uh, when I started doing it, but just swapping TV with reading. Um, I'm notoriously really bad at reading books, great at research papers, not great with books. So I just made a rule. First of all, phone by bed, nine o'clock, TV's off, uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock at the latest, and I'll start reading. And reading for me is pretty much like a sedative and it just knocks me out completely. But more importantly, is I'm just not getting triggered by anything that's on the TV. Um, you know, whether it's like a, a horror film or whatever, you know, you name it. Um, stuff like this will trigger you. And, you know, it could activate sort of that flight and fight uh, system within the body, um, increase like adrenaline and so on. I know that's going to uh, interfere with overall sleep quality. So if you can, try not to watch TV late at night swap it uh, for a book. And I appreciate that is going to be quite hard for many to do. But with all of these strategies uh, that we're going to cover, and again, it's going to be 11 of them, you don't have to implement them all at once. Pick one, make it into a habit, and we know that habits are formed better with repetition. So just do it over and over and over again. Doesn't matter if you mess up some days, just keep on doing them until it becomes habituated. And you're just doing it without even thinking. And then once that's um, given a big tick, you move on to the next. So number four would be sleeping on the chilly side. So again, we know that uh, your body temperature can regulate sleep. So make the room a little bit more chilly than usual, perhaps between 18 and 22 degrees if you can. All you have to do is think of those hot, sweaty, kind of clammy summer nights and, you know, you kind of tossing and turning in bed, you know that your sleep's not going to be great. Um, where, say, for example, in the winter when it's a bit cooler outside, I know myself, I always end up sleeping better just because um, the room temperature is a lot cooler. So that'd be one thing to do as well. Try and keep the room as cold as possible. And it could also be a case of 
having a shower or a bath uh, before you go to bed because the temperature change from a hot so from a hot shower or bath going into room temperature will naturally cool the body slightly. So that's been shown to be an effective way to improve sleep quality also. Number five is to do a brain dump. So this is perfect for everybody who's essentially wired and tired and can't switch off at night because you've got a lot on their mind. So whether you've had a, a difficult day in training, a difficult game, race, uh, your performance wasn't quite there, you know, you name it. If you can't fall asleep because your mind is busy, doing a brain dump is a really good thing. Essentially, um, wired and tired is you just lying in bed and your thoughts going round and round and round in circles and you just can't process them properly. So really simple, get a piece of pen and paper and write down your thoughts. Um, as kind of simplistic as this sounds, it just works incredibly well. Again, you just writing your thoughts on paper allows you to process um, the information that's rattling around in your brain far better. And the way I tend to do this is just ask myself three questions. What went well? What didn't go so well? And what can I do better going forward? So say, for example, if I do a presentation, I'd always reflect what went well with it. So what things am I happy with? What things that didn't go so well? So what areas that I didn't think I performed on my best in? And then, you know, what can I do better? So knowing that, I've almost got like a little bit of a needs analysis. Um, and then it just allows me to process everything better and I can switch off well. And plus it could be like a, a security thing, knowing that my thoughts are on paper and they're going to be there in the morning so I can switch off a lot better as well. Um, try not to do this in your phone just because, again, light exposure, um, but try and do it on a piece of paper in a, in a form of a diary. Uh, works incredibly well. Number six is no caffeine after 3 p.m. So we know that caffeine does improve excess performance extremely well, and we know that it is a stimulant. What we also know is that caffeine has a half-life of about four to six hours, meaning that if you'd have 200 milligrams of caffeine at 3 p.m. in five hours' time, uh, so 8 p.m., you still have 100 milligrams of caffeine in your system. And then five hours later, you'd have 50 milligrams of caffeine in your system. So essentially, you're going to have it's still a decent whack of caffeine in your blood, um, when you're trying to fall asleep. So we also know that caffeine is something called an adenosine antagonist. So adenosine is a compound that's made in the brain, which causes things like, say, drowsiness, and it slows down uh, nerve activity. So it's a pretty good thing to have in high amounts when you're going to fall asleep. But what caffeine does it competes with the adenosine receptor and prevents that from happening. So obviously that's not going to be a good thing when it's late at night because we're essentially blocking adenosine from binding to that receptor and making us feel drowsy and slowing us down. Where if it's you know, before exercise, uh, before competing, actually a very good thing because we don't want to be drowsy during exercise. So... That is another reason as to why we don't have 
high amounts of caffeine later on in the afternoon. Number seven is diet and macronutrient ratios. So we know that high carbohydrates, high protein, and low dietary fat diets improve sleep quality, duration, and sleep latency. So the time taken off fall asleep, where there's some good research showing that the opposite um, imp- Number seven is diet and macronutrient ratios. So there's some good research showing that high carbohydrate, high protein, and low fat diets improve sleep quality, duration, and sleep latency. So the time taken to fall asleep. Where the opposite, um, low carbohydrate and high fat diets can impair sleep quality and duration. So when we talk about low fat diets. This doesn't mean a zero fat diet. Uh, We still need some dietary fat um, for normal physiological functioning, so we don't be deficient, uh, but it's probably looking towards the lower range. So anecdotally, when I put athletes on these type of diets to not only improve performance and recovery, um, they see that sleep does improve. So we know that carbohydrates are going to be the main driver for exercise performance and they're needed for glycogen replenishment. So you can be at your best within a perhaps 12 to 24 hour period. So when we look at high carbohydrate diets, yes, they're great for the performance, um, but also great for sleep as well. And again, anecdotally, when sort of athletes come back um, and report to their sleep quality, they tend to feel a lot more refreshed the day after because sleep uh, has overall been better. Where you often see that people on large calorie deficits um, sleep worse because the amount of carbohydrates they have in their diet is far reduced. So number eight would be hopefully common sense, but it's reduced fluid intake before bed. Now, what I don't want people to do is not really drink any fluid throughout the day and then catch up before they go to bed. Like, I don't want you to be going, like, say, have a minimal amount and then necking two to three liters at seven o'clock at night because you're not going to retain onto that and you're going to end up going to the toilet in the middle of the night. So what I'd like you to do, which I recommend to all my athletes, is trying to have about 300 or 500 milliliters of fluid per waking hour. So we think about topping up throughout the day and then really tapering fluid intake about two hours before bed and we're perhaps just drinking and sipping to thirst. When we've done this approach, by means might take some trial and error, but with this approach, yes, they can be better hydrated throughout the day, which we know is going to massively improve their physical and mental performance, but they don't wake up half as frequently in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. So it is common sense, but um, people still do it. So number eight is very much case of reducing fluid intake before you go to bed. Number nine is sleep banking, which is a relatively new concept, um, but it's essentially the intentional sleep extension prior to a night of sleep deprivation. So when once individuals have done this, 
and it's been shown to improve motor performance and anabolic hormone levels. So say, for example, um, when the the rugby season is up and running and perhaps pre-COVID, I would uh, say travel from Leeds, where I live, down to Coventry, where Wasps uh, training ground is. I'll get up at four o'clock in the morning to travel down and try and beat the traffic. Um, So what I do the day before, so the Saturday, or should we say the Sunday morning, is just try and sleep in and extend that sleep. So over the course of the 48 hours, I'm perhaps averaging eight hours per night instead of having maybe uh, five and a half to six hours on the Monday night and a normal seven to eight on the Saturday. So what I'm trying to do is just uh, preempt this night of sleep deprivation and intentionally bank some sleep because we know that um, in the research anyways can have benefits. But anecdotally as well, uh, it seems to work really, really well. And my concentration energy levels are far improved during my uh, workday on a Monday when I do this. Number 10 is take a nap. So if you've had a terrible night's sleep and perhaps you weren't, I don't say you weren't planning on having a terrible night's sleep, but say for example, you didn't bank sleep um, and you did only get maybe five, five and a half hours of sleep that night, then take a 30 minute power nap the next day as it will pretty much reverse many of the negatives associated with sleep deprivation from the athlete's perspective. So things like um, alertness, vigor, concentration, clarity, um, your skill accuracy, so passing accuracy, serve accuracy in tennis, the so a sprint performance is improved. So a 30-minute power nap can reverse many of the negatives. So if you can get a 13-minute nap in, if you are sleep-deprived and you weren't able to bank sleep prior, uh, I would definitely suggest this is a very beneficial strategy to use. And last but not least, number 11, melatonin-rich foods. So we know that light exposure can regulate melatonin, but we can also um, obtain this via our diet. So a really nice strategy I like to use for athletes after they've competed uh, is to use products such as Cherry Active. So they're very high dose antioxidant supplements which can improve um, muscle soreness and it can return muscle function much, much quicker, meaning that you are going to be in a more refreshed state and more recovered state within a 24 to 48 hour period. Now, when we look at these um, these products, it's important not to take them after training because they are very high in antioxidants and it may uh, decrease the inflammatory response needed to drive adaptation. So not going to be overly beneficial to take these foods um, right after your training sessions, but after games with the or races, the whole idea is to recover very quickly. So we can take them uh, here, so products like Cherry Active, not only to improve recovery, but to improve sleep quality as well because they are rich in melatonin. So it's almost a win-win situation here. So if you're struggling to switch off after a game or race or competition, I would suggest looking at products like Cherry Active 
because it can be very beneficial. However, I would perhaps um, err on the side of caution, use them after training sessions where the whole idea is to adapt and not necessarily recover. And that is the 11 highly effective strategies to get a supercharged night of sleep. Now, I know many of you would be keen to implement all these at once, but as I mentioned, we want to try and pick one and do it periodically and methodically because we don't want to try them all at once and get the habit overload. So in this sense, I always use the seven out of 10 rule. I, whatever habit I'm going to do has to have at least seven out of 10 likeliness for it to succeed. So we always want to build uh, momentum on this habit formation to build further success down the line. So if, for example, um, you say, I'm going to put my phone away uh, by my bed, put my alarm on, all that kind of stuff, and I'll see it till the next morning uh, by nine o'clock at night, and I'm going to do that seven days a week. On a scale of one to 10, how likely are you going to achieve that? If it's like a five, it's like, okay, maybe we don't do that because you're almost going to set yourself up for failure. So then ask yourself, can I do this four nights a week? And then you might be like, okay, I'm like an eight out of 10 likeliness to achieve that. Perfect. We'll do that first. Get that into a good habit. Pick four nights that you're going to do that. Record it until you find it easy. And then move the barrier, move the goalposts and try and do it for six nights, then seven nights and so on. So what I'm trying to say here is start small, um, gain really good momentum and then the habit will be automated before you know it. And we know repetition is key for habit formation. Once a habit's um, very much habituated, you move on to the next one. And then before you know it, you'll have a nice sort of list of uh, sleep hygiene strategies that you can implement without even really knowing it. It just becomes part of your life and a part of your environment. And that kind of leaves us with a, with a nice quote of, you know, create your environment. So the environment creates you. So you've almost got to set your, your environment for success plus ultimately you are a product of it. So I hope uh, today's episode was valuable and insightful. If you uh, have any questions on this, please don't hesitate to comment below or drop me a DM on social media. Instagram or Facebook's the best place to get me. And of course, if you did enjoy it and you took value away from it, please don't forget to like and share because this helps me massively in terms of this podcast being able to reach more and more people. So guys, until next time, goodbye.